0: Thank you for choosing the podcast of East Haven Baptist Church in Brookhaven, Mississippi. For more information on the ministries of East Haven and to access videos and sermon notes from our services, visit www.easthaven.net. One of my friends uh, looked at me a number of years ago and he was going through a little bit of a difficult situation. He looked at me and he said, I know everything is going to turn out all right because I have the promise. I said, what promise is that? And he said, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, for I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. He said, and that is a promise for each of us as individuals. And I said, all right, well, let's, let's time out for just a second. I said, do you know the context of that promise? He said, no. I said, so you're saying that that is a promise to every, everybody. He said, well, yeah. He said, the Bible is full of promises and all the promises in the Bible are for each of us individually. I said, "Now let's, let's, let's talk about this. I said, there are some promises in the Bible where God promises some really hard, some really negative things. He said, well, no, not those. I'm talking about the positive promises. I said, okay, so you're saying the positive promises are for all of us all the time. He said, absolutely. I said, well, what about the promises that are specifically made to just Israel in a historical context? He said, oh no, there are promises too, because the church has replaced Israel. Now we don't have time to get into that today, but let me just give you the short answer. No. Okay, so God still has a future for Israel. The church has not replaced Israel. But he says the church has replaced Israel, so every promise that God has made to Israel applies to the church today. I said, well, I don't know if you can actually say that. Actually, I know you can't say that. That's replacement theology. So we don't, we're not going to go down that line of thinking because that's just not biblical. He said, and what promises are? Uh, can't be applied to the church, can be applied to America because America is a covenant nation just like Israel. Only America and Israel are the only two covenant nations and whatever promises God's made to Israel, he's also made to America. I said, now you're just in the weeds. Okay, Israel and America, no, you cannot equate those and put those on the same level. God made a special covenant with the people of Israel, with the nation of Israel, and there are some promises that apply to them. Now, here's the question. When you get to Jeremiah 29, 11, because that is a beloved verse, it is a verse that has given so much encouragement. It is a verse that is, has that is enabled people to endure. Some of you would say, that is my favorite verse. Absolutely. Well, I hope by the end of today, in these few moments we have, I hope that is even more and near and dear to your heart than it is right now because when you put it in the context you find that there are some deeper things going on with Jeremiah 29:11 that we might not have known before we might not have realized or we might not have connected. Now let's get back to what my friend was talking about. Sometimes we have to understand in God's word what is a directed promise and what is a divine principle. Now I'm not saying those two things are at opposite ends. There's a lot of overlap. So whenever we look at Jeremiah 29, 11, Jeremiah 29, 11 is a directed promise. Does that mean because it is directed specifically to the Southern kingdom, Judah, while they are in captivity, does that mean that we, there's nothing in there that, that we should apply to our own lives? Absolutely not. There are plenty of things. We're gonna look at those today. But we need to understand that even in those directed promises, there are divine principles that we can bank on, that we can live by, that we can trust in, even if we can't go word for word with the directed promise as it's directed to some other people. Now, with that in mind, I know that it's going to make more sense as we as we go through this today. But with that in mind, I just want us to, first of all, talk about a pattern that you find throughout Scripture. Because when you find this pattern and you see it and you understand it, it is, it is a pattern that is repeated throughout Scripture. Jeremiah makes more sense, as well as so many other narratives make sense. And I'm using narrative in the term in the sense of the storyline, not that it's not real, not that it's fiction. I'm just saying there is a storyline that you find through the Bible. And one of the patterns is this. You start out with relationship with God. That relationship is interrupted by sin. God brings judgment upon that sin. People face an exile, a removal from the presence of God because of their sin. And then there is a restoration. You see that in its earliest form with Eden. There is perfect relationship with God. Sin enters into the picture. God sends temporal judgment upon sin and not only temporal judgment, but eternal judgment upon sin. But we find that Adam and Eve are separated from God. They are exiled from the garden. And then God points toward a future restoration that will take place. You find that, that pattern, that same pattern taking place again and again and again in the Bible, that five-step pattern from relationship to sin, sin to judgment, judgment to exile, exile to restoration, which brings us back to relationship. So you find that. Now, in the case of God's people in the Old Testament, you find very specifically with exile, there are a few key components When you're dealing with God's chosen people in the Bible, you find this, the land was depopulated, the temple was destroyed, the king was captured, and all of this was because the law was broken. Because they broke God's law, these distinguishing characteristics, we have the land that God has given to us. That's the idea there, there they are in Judah, there they are in Israel, the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah. We look at it collectively sort of as Israel today, but in that time it was a separated kingdom. So we have Israel in the north, Judah in the south. God had given them the land. God gave them the land and then God says, because of your sin as part of judgment, I'm bringing you out of the land. Just as I brought you into it and gave it to you, now I'm taking you out of it. So that was one of the signs of God's judgment we find in the Old Testament. Not only that, that the temple was destroyed. The city of Jerusalem was destroyed. The place of worship was destroyed. You find the king was captured. This king who was supposed to give rise to the Messiah, the coming one who was going to sit all right. Well, you don't have a king on the throne. You, the king has been removed. And all that because the law of God was broken. And so you find these distinguishing characteristics the land the king the temple the law all of those are in disarray and God does that to let them know that he is bringing judgment upon that people Now you say well all that's well and good but what does that have to do with Jeremiah 29:11 Because Jeremiah 29:11 is one verse in the context of a letter that Jeremiah sends to Babylon to the people who have been taken there in exile. You find that Jeremiah has been warning the people for a number of years. Turn from your idols. Reject your idols. Turn back to God. Don't worship false gods. Worship the one true God. And he had been prophesying and he had been warning them as well as other prophets before him for over a hundred years the people of God had been worshiping idols and trying to mesh the worship of God the one true God with the worship of these false gods and the prophets have been warning them you've got to turn back you can't keep doing that you have to turn away from these idols and then finally God had enough and God sent the Babylonians in and the Babylonians have taken a group of people from that southern kingdom of Judah. They've already hit Israel. Now they've hit Judah and they've taken a group of them from Judah and they've carted them off to Babylon. There's a second group that's a little remnant that's left there in Jerusalem and Jeremiah is one of them left in Jerusalem. So he pens this letter and he sends it to the exiles who are there in Babylon to let them know what is ahead. Now with that as the context, let's look at Jeremiah chapter 29. We're going to start with verse 4, and I want us this morning to look at not only the directed promises to Judah, but I want us to look at what are those divine principles that God has shown through this text that we can know something about God, this divine principle based on what these are based upon this directed promise let's start with verse 4 of jeremiah 29 this is the letter that jeremiah writes to those in exile thus says the lord of hosts the god of israel to all the exiles whom i have sent into exile from jerusalem to babylon build houses and live in them Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. The first thing we find, the first divine principle we find in this passage is that God is thorough in his judgment. God is thorough in his judgment. For years, they have been warned, turned from idols, turned from idols, turned from idols. And they've said, no, 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 no. And so now God has taken them to Babylon and through Jeremiah, he, earlier in uh, the book of Jeremiah, he's already mentioned 70 years. He mentions it again. And he says, if you're gonna be there 70 years. You might as well get comfortable because this is gonna take a while. Now, you find, if you back up, you'll find that there were some prophets who said, no, 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 Jeremiah's wrong. There was one prophet that said, no, 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 it's only going to be two years. Only two years, not 70. Don't listen to Jeremiah. He is Mr. Pessimist. He's been pessimistic all these years, saying all these gloom and doom things. It's only going to be two years. And you would think that Jeremiah would just say, well, just wait. And God would just say, well, just wait. Wait your two years and see. No, no. God says, no, that's not correct. You're going to die before the year is up. And the prophet dies, this false prophet. As an indication that no, what he's saying is absolutely false. Jeremiah is saying 70. There's no circumventing that. There's no getting around that. Judah, you had your opportunity to repent and you missed it. You missed that window of opportunity. And now God's judgment has come and it is thorough. Notice notice what Jeremiah says. You might as well get comfortable in Babylon. Take daughters, take sons, have children, build houses, live there, and pray for the welfare of Babylon. Which seems odd, doesn't it? But now in this exile, God has said, okay, I'm going to send you to Babylon, and you're going to be there, and you're going to be like, in some ways, them. You've already rejected me. You've wanted to do your own way, do it your own way, do your own thing in your own way. Worship your own version of the God that you wanted. So you know what? You can have it. But now you're going to be there in Babylon for 70 years. That's a thorough amount of time. Listen, you know what that means? That means there are people who got taken to Babylon who would never see Jerusalem again. They would die during that lifetime. That's a lifetime before hope came. And they would be in Babylon, they would die there in Babylon without seeing that restoration that God is talking about in Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. Why? Because God is thorough in his judgment. You find in Deuteronomy 28, verse 37, this is one of the promises that God makes if his people turned against him and served other idols. Jeremiah 20, uh, 28 verse 36, the Lord will bring you and your King whom you set over you to a nation that neither you nor your fathers have known. And there you shall serve other gods of wood and stone, and you shall become an horror, a proverb and a byword among all the peoples where the Lord has led you away. He's saying if way back in Deuteronomy, he said, if you're following false gods, I'm going to have another nation come and take you off into exile. And then you're going to get even deeper into idolatry. That's what God promised. And that's exactly what we find happens. If you back up into Jeremiah, you go all the way back toward the beginning of Jeremiah, you get back to Jeremiah chapter two, verse 13. Jeremiah lays out from God the charges against the people. My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me. That's evil number one, forsaken God, the fountain of living waters and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Those cisterns, those stone vessels that would be used to catch rainwater to be able to drink it. The Lord says that they have hewn out broken cisterns. They're cracked cisterns. They can't hold water. Those idols can't quench their spiritual thirst. I'm the fountain of living water. They've forsaken me to run after broken cisterns that the water flows into and it runs out of. There's, it cannot be filled. And I'm the one that's offering them this living water. That's the charge that we find that Jeremiah says, according to God, that God has against the people. You find in Jeremiah chapter 10, verse five, there's this great illustration. This is not in your outline, but there's a great illustration where the, the idols are compared to a scarecrow in a melon patch. That's about all the good they are. They're a scarecrow in a melon patch. They're broken cisterns. And so you find that Judah was already spiritually exiled, so to speak, for over 100 years. They've been following other idols. They've been following other gods. They've been rejecting the worship of the one true God alone. So they've already been spiritually exiled in their hearts. And now God says, well, it's time for some physical exile because you've been experiencing spiritual exile. You just haven't realized it. Jeremiah 11 verse 10, they have turned back to the iniquities of the forefathers who refused to hear my words. They have gone after other gods to serve them. So you find that there's these, there are these charges that God brings before the people who have gone after these other gods. Now, I know we look at it today and we say, well, idolatry. Is that really that much of an issue today? Yes, absolutely. These idols may not be wood. They may not be stone. They may not be metal. They may not be in some temple somewhere some physical temple that we see but it is just as much of an issue today anything that we love as much as or more than god that's an idol anything that we try to allow to share the same honor as god that's an idol anything that we run to for comfort other than god that's an idol anything that we seek to find direction and leadership and guidance from anything that we trust in Apart from God, or in addition to god that 's an idol. so there 's an issue of love and honor and trust, if we put anything in those positions other than God alone that 's idolatrous and sometimes people will say well i don 't know why that 's such a big deal i mean it 's just worshiping an idol what 's the big deal? Because it never stops with just worshiping an idol. If you go through, you find that that idol worship. That wrong beginning leads to violence, it leads to social unease and and, and social dis-ease, all sorts of negativity going on. We find that at its ultimate point, you find there, as Jeremiah is bringing these charges, you're finding that there, outside of the, the city walls of Jerusalem, they were sacrificing their children to an idol. That's the point that it got to. It never is isolated. You can't sequester a belief. Say, believing that idolatry is not going to spread is like taking an open bottle of poison and dropping it into a well and expecting it to remain in the bottle. It always spreads. It poisons everything. And as this poisoning everything, God is completely and totally thorough in his judgment. And God roots out every bit of it. It takes 70 years, but God is going to root it out. Now, we may say, well, didn't didn't God give them an opportunity? Did God just say, that's it, it's over? No, God had given them multiple opportunities to repent. If you look in Jeremiah chapter 18, there's a famous uh, object lesson that Jeremiah gives. He goes down to the house of the potter and he watches a potter make a pot. He throws a pot. He doesn't throw it against the wall. It's not what we're talking about. Th- he throws the pottery on the wheel and he's making a pot and something happens and it is, it is misformed. And so he starts all over again and remolds it in the way that he wants it to be. And that is an example of, and Jeremiah uses an example of, it's not too late. He's calling Judah to repentance. Jeremiah eighteen five. the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done, declares the Lord, behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. God's saying, it's not too late. You can be reformed. Just repent. But they did not. That's why you get to Jeremiah chapter 19. Jeremiah takes a second visit down to the potter's house and he buys a clay vessel and he goes out and he throws it down in front of the people as a witness to their sin and he shatters it and he breaks it because they were stiff and they were unyielding. And God says, that's it. You did not, you did not repent. So 70 years passes. That's a long time. But God is thorough in his judgment. Which brings us to verses 10 and 11. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give, a, to give you a future and a hope. Not only is God thorough in his judgment, he's sovereign in his plans. That's what we learned from Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. God says, I know the plans I have for you, Judah. I know what I'm going to do. Doesn't that give you great comfort that there's this divine principle that God knows what is going on? Your life may be falling apart. Your life may be, you may feel like you have spun off of the axis of your life and you don't know where you are going to end up. God is still sovereign, God's in control. That word sovereign means it's a king who is able to do whatever he wants with his kingdom. And that's how God operates. God is sovereign. If the, it looks like things are completely out of control for Judah. They've been carted off to Babylon. Their king has been taken. Their, their temple has been destroyed. They have been removed from the land. They've broken the law of God. They have been exiled from this place that God has promised them. It's a reversal of the actual exodus. As God brought them out of Egypt, now God is saying, I'm going to bring you out of the land. I'm going to reverse the exodus. I'm going to put you back into bondage, back into captivity. This seems like things are completely and totally out of control. But yet, God knows the plans that he has. You ever look at what's going on in the world today? And say, where is God in the middle of all this? God, don't you see what this person is doing? Don't you see what that person is doing? Don't you see what this country is doing? Don't you see what that group is doing? Don't you see what they're doing, Lord? God, can't you see? Listen to Proverbs sixteen four. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. God is saying, these wicked, they think they're in control of everything, these wicked people? No, I made them for this day. To serve my purposes i 'm sure some of Judah was complaining and saying, Lord God, the Babylonians why, why are you allowing this? God just didn 't allow them to come. God provoked them, sent them to come that 's what we find in the book of Habakkuk. I am behold, I am sending the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, God sent them it wasn 't that just God took his hands off and said well i 'm just going to let it happen. No, God sovereignly planned it. And sent them, even the wicked, for the day of trouble. And God is saying, I got this under control. I've got it completely and totally under control. You think about Judas. You think about the Roman authorities. You think about the, the evil Jewish authorities who were trying to put Jesus to death. And they were saying, oh, we got him now. And God's like, <laughs> saw it. Saw it. No, he saw it. You're part of the plan. You're part of my bigger plan. You're never going to override my plan. I am the sovereign Lord God. Isaiah 46, Isaiah prophesying around the same time as Jeremiah. Isaiah 46 verse 9. The words of God, remember the former things of old for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done saying my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done. God has the final say so from the first get go. God says, this is how it's going to go. I've got my plan. I've got my plan. It's under control. Can I I tell you, there have been many times in my life, probably in your life too, where you have looked at it and you have thought, things are completely and totally slipping out of my control. Can I let you in on a little secret? You were never in control, right? Control is an illusion, right? Now, we can control certain things, absolutely, but those things are very, very, very small. Basically, the only thing we can control is our response to situations. That's what we can control. But the rest of it, we can't control. You can't control other people. You can't control fully situations. You can't, you can't control these things. God is the one who is in total control. We trust in him. We rely upon him. Because we, we want to run after control and say, ah, oh, now I have all this control. We really we really don't. But when things when we finally see that things are outside of our control i don't know about you but i i get kind of panicked oh god what am i going to do oh god what's going on oh god i don't know what's next god i don't know what to plan for i don't know how to anticipate oh oh lord what am i going to do and in those moments you can go back to jeremiah 29 11 and know the divine principle is i know the plans i have i know all my plans that's what god says I know my plans. God lets us in on some of them, but God has his plans. He has his way, his way of doing things. Jay Vernon McGee said that uh, something along the lines of, now you may think that uh, you have a better idea of how the universe should work, but now if you really look at it, you don't have a universe. It's God's universe, right? We may think we know how things should go, But it's God's universe and he runs it as God wants to run it. But that's why we can trust him in his sovereignty. We can trust that God is in control. Listen to Jeremiah 32, 27. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? The understood answer for that question is no. No, God, nothing is too hard for you because you're the God of all creation. So when you're in the middle of that situation, and some of you, can I just go ahead and say, some of you are right in the middle of that situation right now. You're in the middle of that situation with your family. You're in the middle of that situation with your job. You're in the middle of that situation with your finances. You're in the middle of that situation with something that's going on health-wise. You're in the middle of that situation, and everything seems to be utter and complete chaos Can I tell you, if you are a child of God, you serve a God who is in complete and total control of the universe. The universe is not careening downhill in a runaway wagon, but the universe is firmly in the grasp of a good, eternal, all-powerful God. And you can trust him in that. Yeah, but what if it doesn't look like that? It's one of my mentors used to refer to as the yeah buts. You have a bad case of the yabbats. Yeah he told me that one time. I said, What does that mean? He said, We say, Well, God says this, and you say, Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, but, yeah, but what about this? Yeah, but, there are no yabbats. Yeah the bottom line is, God's in control. Period. Regardless of what it may look like, God is in control. Regardless of what it looked like for Judah, God is in control. Which brings us to the rest of this letter. Look at verse 12. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. That's at the end of those 70 years. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you declares the Lord and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you declares the Lord and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. He's thorough in his judgment. He's sovereign in his plans. But aren't you glad he is abundant in his mercy? God says, don't worry. That future and a hope, Judah, is that I'm going to bring you back. At the end of 70 years, you're going to cry out. You're going to repent. You're going to turn to me. You're going to pray. You're going to pray to me. I'm going to hear you. I'm going to restore you to the place from which I sent you into exile. You're going to come back to the land of Judah. You're going to come back to Jerusalem. You're going to rebuild the temple. You're going to have a king back on that throne. That Davidic king who is going to have that line all the way down to the Messiah. I'm going to bring you back into the land. I'm going to restore these things. You find this in Jeremiah 31, 17. There is hope for your future, declares the Lord. And your children shall come back to their own country. We find the same idea from the same time period mentioned over in Lamentations chapter 3 verse 31 for the Lord will not cast off forever but though he calls grief he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love because as we looked earlier At Deuteronomy and that promise that God said, if you serve other idols, if you serve false gods, if you run after them, then I'm going to bring these things upon you and exile will be one of them. So too we find in Deuteronomy 30 verse 2, and return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and obey his voice in all that I command you today, with all your heart, with all your soul, Then the Lord, your God will restore your fortunes and have mercy on you. And he will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord, your God has scattered you. God made this promise, even back in Deuteronomy, knowing that they were going to run, knowing that they were going to reject him, knowing they were going to turn from him. And even then God said, but if you repent and you return, I am abundant in my mercy. And I will restore to you those things that were removed from you in the exile. If you look at the end of Jeremiah, and we don't have time to go into this today, but let me just tell you, just read through, starting around Jeremiah 31, read on through Jeremiah 33. If you look toward that section, you find that Jeremiah says, these are the things that are going to happen. These are the things about the future and the hope that God is saying that he will give to them. These are the things that are going to come to pass. And interestingly enough, if you start in verse, uh, chapter 31 or so and read through chapter 33, you find some things that are mentioned very specifically. One is, you're going to be brought back to the land. You're going to be given that, that land in Jeremiah 33, 7. I'm, I'm, you're going to be brought back into the land. Later on in Jeremiah 33, just a, a few verses later, he says, you're going to have a king on the throne. And then he immediately follows that after verse seventeen, around verse eighteen and following, he follows up with, and the priests are going to offer sacrifices. Where are they going to offer sacrifices? Well, in a place of worship, in a temple. And if you go back in Jeremiah thirty-one, you find something else. So, so there you have. Remember the exile. the The land is depopulated. The king is removed. the 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 um, temple is destroyed, and the law has been broken. Now we find in Jeremiah 33, Jeremiah is saying, you're going to have a king back on the throne. You're going to be brought back into the land. The priests are going to worship again. And then over in Jeremiah 31, he says something else. He says that I'm going to take the law and I'm going to write it on their hearts. That's what God says. So it's no longer going to be this law out here, this r- rules and regulations, list of do's and don'ts. He says, no, 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 no. I'm going to, I'm going to write the law on their hearts. And they're gonna know me, God says in Jeremiah 31. And he says in Jeremiah 31, this is starting around verse two, and I will be their God and they will be my people. You see what's happening? From relationship to sin to judgment to exile to restoration. Back to that relationship. I will be their God and they will be my people. And we say, Well, that's all great. What does it have to do with us? that's dealing with Judah. That's dealing with the people who were taken from Jerusalem. What about us? Because every bit of this, every bit of this, this restoration of Judah, every bit of the whole of the story points toward a larger story. And that's the story of Jesus. Every bit of it points back to Jesus. How do I know? Because we're in the same place. There's a relationship with God that we find in the garden that is that is interrupted and that is d- disrupted by sin. And that sin has led to judgment for sin, upon sin, a separation of us from God. We have been exiled from a life with God, from his very presence, just as sure as Eden. And yet God promises a restoration. For those who will repent, those who will turn to Christ, there is a restoration of the relationship with God. And just as Jeremiah records there in chapter 31, that they will be my God. I will be their God and they will be my people. So too, we can say that God is our God and that we are his people through Christ. And Christ, he is is that one that we go to. He is the one who restores all things. Which brings us back to the end of another exile, the ultimate exile, the exile of basically all humanity, all creation, because all creation has been exiled from that perfect presence of God, which brings us to Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Oh, wait, so you mean to tell me there's some new land that God has created? For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, the place of worship, the place of the temple, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for a husband. And I heard a loud voice from where? The throne. There's a king, and there's an eternal king, saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. Jeremiah 2.13, they've turned from the fountain of living water and hewn for themselves broken cisterns that can hold no water. And here the Lord God, of the universe is saying, you're going to get to drink and you're going to drink. From, from the water of life that I am giving you, the spiritual thirst that you have, that back in Jeremiah, they tried to meet by some other means. I am telling you that you are always going to be satisfied with me. And then we find this phrase. It's not just, I will be their God and they will be my people, those that I govern. Look at verse 7. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. It's not just that God says, I'm going to reestablish and restore everything. And I'm going to be king over a kingdom. God says, not only that, and you're going to be part of the kingdom. Not only that, God says, you're going to be in the kingdom forever, but not only that, you're going to be in my family. He's taken it the next step. He is a God who is abundant in mercy we have gone from being exiles from the presence of God through Christ being brought into the family of God. Not just given a new land, that new heaven and a new earth. Not just worshiping in the new Jerusalem. Not just bowing down before the throne where God, the eternal king reigns. No, but being able to say, I am in the family of of God. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. What a future. What a hope for those who follow Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for the hope that is found in Christ, that our only hope is found in Christ. And Father, I pray that anybody here today who may be feeling as though their life is running off the rails, it's spinning off the axis. Lord God, may you use your word to reassure them that you are firmly and truly and totally in control. Father, I pray that if any of us would would dare think that We can sequester a sin and it won't spread to other areas of our life. Help us to remember that that you're thorough in your judgment. Nothing escapes your watchful eye. And that you call us to to integrity of heart as we follow you. Father, if we are, anybody's listening, watching or here today and they're beaten down, downtrodden, burdened. They don't see hope. They don't see a future. Father, reassure them and let them know that as long as there is breath, there is hope. As long as there is life, there is hope. And that you are abundant in your mercy. And you have more ways of working things out than we could ever imagine. Even if it's a long time coming, even if we're 70 years in Babylon and beyond, we can trust, Lord God, that you know what you're doing and that you have a plan. Father, I pray for anybody listening or anybody here who's never made a decision to follow you. I pray that today would be the day they would recognize by your word that they are exiled from a life with you. They are exiled from your presence because of sin. And that through Jesus, we have a means, we have a way, the way, the truth, the life to know you, Lord God, not just know you so that you may be our God and we may be your people, but you may be our God and we may be your children. Father, I pray today would be the day that they would say, that's what I need. I need Christ. And then cast themselves upon that abundant mercy of yours. That you showed when you sent Jesus to, to live a perfect life here on earth. Fully God, fully man. And die in our place on behalf of our sin. For our sin, he took the punishment, the wrath of our sin upon himself on the cross. So that through him, if we trust in that sacrifice, we can know you, God. You will be our God and we will be your children. Father, I pray that today would be the day they would say yes to Christ. Father, whatever need we may be facing as individuals, as families. Father, I pray that you would show up. You would show yourself strong. You would show that nothing, your holy God, nothing escapes your attention you're a sovereign God and nothing is beyond your control and that you're a God who is abundant in mercy no one is beyond your reach Lord God if they repent and come to you so father we give you thanks we give you glory and we give you praise for Jeremiah 29 11, and all of the divine truth that we find there expressed to us we give you thanks praise glory and honor and it's in Jesus name we ask these things amen